0: I suppose pretty obviously Jesus is the model for friendship and he actually calls his disciples his friends, which is an incredible thing. And I'd like to look briefly at how we can have a friendship which doesn't conform to the patterns of this world from the way friendships perhaps happen around us. But look at the sort of friendships that might transform the world. And I suppose it's a comfort that we all need friends. Jesus needed friends. Um, But Jesus knew, I suppose, more than anyone else, how to be a really good friend to his friends. And friendship, at its best, I think is the most extraordinary thing. I love the description of friendship that C.S. Lewis gives in The Four Loves. He talks about a friendship where each member of the circle feels in his secret heart Humbled before all the rest. Sometimes he wonders what he is doing among his betters. He is lucky beyond desert to be in such company. Especially when the whole group is together. Each bringing out all that is best, wisest or funniest in all the others. Those are the golden sessions. When four or five of us after a hard day's walking have come to our inn. When our slippers are on our feet spread out towards the blaze, and our drinks at our elbows, when the whole world and something beyond the world opens itself to our minds as we talk. Life, natural life, has no better gift to give. But how can we have that sort of friendship that C.S. Lewis describes? Well, I think there are perhaps four clues in this passage. Um, The first, I think, is that we need to love one another selflessly. If you look at verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knows he's about to face the most difficult and crucial point of his ministry. It's been probably the most turbulent and exhausting week of his ministry so far. It's been a week of preaching, death threats, there was a triumphal entry, a huge amount of conflict with the Jewish authorities. And now he knows he's about to face extreme pain, physical pain. He's about to be mocked, ridiculed, exposed as a fraud, supposedly, abandoned and betrayed by his closest friends. And worst of all, his relationship with God The one thing that had been keeping him going throughout his ministry was about to be broken off. Now, if I was Jesus at this time, I'd be thinking, now's the time I need my friends, just for a bit of support. I need encouragement, I need to relax, I need to prepare myself for what's about to be the most difficult decision and the most difficult point of my life. I'd probably ask them to maybe cook me some food and just let me have a bit of space. But when he's at his most needy, it's at this moment that he decides he wants to wash his disciples' feet. And I think in this he's demonstrating that friendship is primarily about service. I think this shows us something about God's love. For God's love is essentially selfless. He gains nothing for himself in his love. He doesn't need anything, but gives freely. He loves us for our sake rather than for his own. I had a very good friend at university um, who was, um, he was a brilliant rugby player and um, started playing professional rugby. And we always told him that we were friends with him purely because we thought he might one day play for England and that it was nice to have a kind of contact in the England rugby team and that if he didn't quite make it, then naturally the friendship would sort of drift apart. But I think... I hope he knew we were joking. Because that's not what friendship is about. We don't go into friendship for what we get back. We need to love one another for their own sake, not for our own. And it's easy, isn't it, to love when we get something back, or even when we don't have to give something up. It's harder when there's a cost to, to friendship. But I think truly loving always has a cost. It might be financial in terms of just being generous with our friends. It might be our position. We might risk unpopularity. It will take time, energy. It will often be inconvenient. And there will be times when it will be really difficult to love our friends. Selflessly. Seeking the good of the other before ourselves. We won't always feel like it there'll be times where I think we resent our friends. And it takes a lot of effort, actually, to act in the opposite spirit and to love them for their sake. It's difficult to kind of praise our friends when actually we want encouragement ourselves, to be generous when we're worried about money. But this, I think, is what Jesus is showing in the feet washing. We put others first. We put service first. So that's the first thing. I think we need to love one another selflessly. Second of all, I think we need to love one another openly. Jesus decides he wants to demonstrate his love for his disciples. Jesus shows his love for his disciples. And I think love has to be something that's open. Love is something that's naturally communicative. We need to communicate and demonstrate our love for one another. And Jesus loves us visibly and openly. He longs for us to know his love. And it's displayed here in uh, John 13, but I suppose it's displayed most ultimately, most visibly and openly on the cross. And it's easy for us to take our friends for granted. But I think it's even easier... To feel very grateful for our friends, to feel a huge amount of admiration for our friends, to love them, but never to communicate it, never to demonstrate it. And it's risky, sort of communicating your love, demonstrating your love, because you risk having nothing back in return. But I think that's what's so extraordinary about Jesus' demonstration here. Jesus demonstrates his love for his disciples at precisely the point when they're about to betray and abandon him. He communicates his love precisely when his disciples are going to communicate their lack of love for him. And yet he does it anyway. So I think we do need to communicate our love for our friends. And I mean, I've always so appreciated when I've got sort of cards, encouraging cards or letters sort of out the blue. I remember getting a text at university when I was just having a, a bad day and my best friend um, up in Leeds I hadn't heard from him from age so I just got a text from him saying I love you buddy um, and that was it and it just sort of cheered me up and it was um, it was really amazing I think it's important we don't leave it till people's funerals to say some nice <laughs> things to them or about them but it's, it's tempting it's sort of maybe slightly embarrassing or we never get around to it or it's risky we don't know whether they're going to say anything nice back But I think this is love's essential nature, that it communicates. So that's the second thing. So we need to love one another selflessly. We need to love one another openly. Third of all, I think we need to love one another practically. Jesus loves his disciples in a practical way. He does some feet washing. Their feet needed washing, and he washed their feet. He could have demonstrated his love by telling them all that he loves them. But he does something quite practical for them. It was probably getting quite smelly. And so he thought, wait, we need to wash some feet. And I think love needs to be practical. And God's love, I think, is so often practical. John three sixteen: God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him might not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God so loved the world that he came up with a practical solution to the world's problems. And God's love is never just never a theoretical thing. It's a practical thing. The Greeks loved kind of making distinctions between things, the body and the soul. And they had this distinction between theory and practice, or theoria and praxis. And those are the kind of the Greek words. But the Jewish understanding, the Hebrew understanding, was there was no distinction between theory and practice. You couldn't think something in practice but not act on it. If you believed that something was wrong, then you didn't do it. You couldn't make a distinction between those things. And so love, loving someone, always meant loving them practically. And I think good friends are those who love one another practically. It means they're reliable. They do what they said they'd do. And I know I'm so bad at this. And, but I appreciate it so much when people are kind of true to their word. When people say they'll do something and then they do it being efficient as friends. Someone once said to me that inefficiency is a lack of love. And I thought, well, that's slightly unfair, because some people are really good at being efficient and some people are just quite kind of inefficient. That's their nature. But actually, forgetting birthdays, being late, not returning calls, not replying to messages, they, they suggest that you don't value the other person. And I know it's more natural to some than to others, but I think it's something we all need to work on, because it's a way of showing people that we love them. It's a way of loving people practically. And it's always amazing, kind of practical love. I remember at university, um, I had sort of um, a chronic fatigue syndrome, and I wasn't very good at looking after myself. And... um, I wasn't very good at cooking for myself, and I was quite kind of lonely. It was a bit of effort to sort of see people. And there was a couple in Oxford who um, cooked supper for me uh, every week. And I'd go around to their house, they'd cook me supper, and we'd watch Spooks. And it was exactly what I wanted to do every Monday evening. Um, And it was a very simple way of them sort of loving me in a practical way that I really needed. And actually, I, I got to a stage where I was actually too old to stay at university. And I rang up Bill and said, Look, I'm, I'm going to actually uh, go back home. And he came immediately with his car. And um, and I packed up my stuff, and he drove me all the way back to London. And he made up some excuse about needing to get a book from London. I think, I think they had books in Oxford. But um, that was just a way he just wanted to love me practically. So that's the third thing. Loving selflessly, loving openly, loving practically. And finally... I think we need to love one another endlessly. Jesus says, or rather it says, um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His disciples hadn't been faultless up to this point. They'd often misunderstood him, they hadn't trusted him. The disciples were a pretty useless bunch. But Jesus keeps on loving them. And they're about to abandon him and deny him. But after the resurrection, Jesus goes and finds them again and is reconciled with them. Jesus doesn't give up on his friends. He loves them endlessly. doesn't matter how hopeless they are. He carries on loving them. And I think perseverance is essential in friendship there will be times when our friends will disappoint us, when they'll hurt us. There are times when just friends just drift away. And it's tempting to give up. We live, I suppose, in a throwaway society where it's much better to get just a new one rather than having to go and mend the old one. And especially when there are so many people around, it doesn't really matter. You know, some people drift away, and then you make new friends, and it's all all right. But I think friend, healthy friendships are the ones that have persevered over time. And that involves forgiving one another, confronting issues sometimes, being honest, making effort with each other even when it's painful. But Jesus doesn't give up on us. And I think that should be our model for our friendships. So I think healthy friendships means loving one another selflessly, openly, practically, and endlessly. And I think Jesus washing his disciples' feet with this love Selfless, open, practical, endless love is the key. And if you take those initials, S-O-P-E, Jesus loved his disciples by washing their feet with soap. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. And I think we need to love one another with a love that's soapy. But we don't do this, I think, just for the sake of the friendships it's not just for healthy friendships in and of themselves I don't think friendships usually just exist for themselves C.S. Lewis points out that friendships usually uh, form around a common activity, a common interest and I think the healthiest Christian friendships recognise that they're part of something bigger the disciples' friendships formed around a common love for Jesus and a common desire to change the world and I think this is important Because Christian friendships can bring the most unlikely people together. It's very inclusive. And it makes friendships immensely powerful for God's purposes. Because actually friendships tend to achieve things. Whether it's mathematics in ancient Greece, or the Royal Society, or the Romantic Movement, or the Movement for the Abolition of Slavery, or New Labour, or the Fellowship of the Ring. All these things started with a group of friends with a common interest the same goal. And I think if we give our friendships, if we have the same goal, the common goal in our friendships, they can be incredibly powerful if we want to have that common aim of God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom. So shall we pray.